Good morning. Merry Christmas. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, my name is Ben Marshall. I'm one of the lay pastors and elders here in Mosaic, um, and it's my joy to continue our Advent series here this morning with you guys. Uh, as Stephen alluded to, we have a bit of an unusual text with us this morning. So if you want to grab your Bibles, make your way to the end of the Old Testament. And while you're making your way there, um, the series we're in, we're in time. If you go to chapter Zechariah, and if you get to the end of Malachi, chapter 4, make one more page over, and our text looks something like this today. <laughs> Pastor's got jokes, right? Uh, no, this is it. This is it. This is the intertestamental period we're going to talk about today, which is, which is unusual. Um, and the theme this morning is that God is with us in the silence. Um, you might be thinking, okay... Pastor Scrooge, thank you for pulling out the, the silence card here. I brought my friend or my neighbor to a nice Christmas morning sermon. Uh, but it's important for us to step into the silence here in the season. Uh, it's, the season of Advent is just as much about the waiting and the hurt that Christ came to deliver us from as it is on Christmas morning. So it's good for us to lean into this. Um, so to briefly recap what I'd like to do over the last few weeks, the first week uh, of our Advent series, Pastor Kyle Worley preached on a sermon on God with us in the garden. He focused on the glory and delight that God made us to live in with him together as we existed in unbroken fellowship before sin entered creation. Then the second week, Pastor Kyle Porter preached a sermon on God with us in our exile. That sermon reminded us that God continued to draw near to us um, even as sin brought separation and judgment um, in exile and wandering into our lives. And then last week, Pastor Worley came back and taught that God is with us in his words. His sermon showed us that, uh, how God was with his people through the words of the prophets as they proclaimed um, the hope of an eternal king who had come to finally establish his kingdom on earth and make things right uh, once and for all. And then again, this week, our message is God is with us in the silence. And it's not just silence, uh, it's God is with us in the silence, and God is with us in our waiting, and God is with us in our suffering. Uh, and I'm going to use those three words interchangeably as we go through this morning. Uh, the main point that I want to leave us with here this morning is that God is both above our silence, and God is with us in our silence. That God is both above our suffering, and God is both with us in our suffering, and that God is both above our waiting and that God is with us in our waiting. So I'd like to begin uh, by talking about what happened to God's people behind these blank pages. What happened in between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Uh, what did the situation look like up when Jesus was going to enter the world? Uh, so we're going to run through a little bit of history. Don't worry, uh, very high level, macro movements. Um, don't panic, don't need to take a whole lot of notes. I will tell you that um, one of the tech, or, uh, books we recommend a lot is Drama of Scripture. We use this in our Forge class. Um, I pulled a lot of this stuff from that book, so if you have further interest um, in the subject and want to get a little bit more detail, I highly recommend Drama of Scripture to you. So at the end of the Old Testament, we find Israel returning from their exile in Persia. There is much hope that as they go back and they rebuild their city and they rebuild their culture, that this is finally when God would bring flourishing and eternal establishment of Israel's kingdom um, to them. But before the Old Testament even wraps up, the 
unfaithfulness and sin and moral situation is already on the decline before the Testament even closes. And uh, the hope is already beginning to fade that they once had when they were returning home from exile. And it appears that the pattern of being ruled by cruel foreign oppressors had only just begun. So in the time between the Testaments, there's this 400-year period, okay? Um, Only a fraction of the Israelites actually returned home. Uh, Eventually, um, most of them would spread throughout the ancient Near East. Uh, Only a few of them actually went back to Israel or, or Palestine. The Greeks under Alexander the Great would come after the Persians, conquering them and taking control of the entire Near East. And as they ruled, the Greeks saturated the empire with their language and with their culture, and their influence over the Israelite way of life uh, progressively intensified. And after Alexander the Great died, about 300 years before Christ was born, the Greek uh, empire was divided into two smaller kingdoms after Alexander died. You get uh, one generally over Egypt, um, called the Ptolemies, and one over Syria, um, called the Seleucids. And Palestine was geographically Israel, was geographically right in between the two, and was ruled by both of these two splitting kingdoms. So first was the Ptolemies in Egypt for about 100 years that Israel was under, then for about uh, 40 years under the Seleucids in Syria. Again, don't worry about taking notes, big movements. Um, so under the Syrian rule, the ruling empire began to aggressively steal from Israel. They uh, began to outlaw observance of the Sabbath. They began to uh, try to violently impose Greek culture on the Israelites. They looted the temple. They outlawed temple sacrifices. They forced Jews to make unclean sacrifices. Uh, They sacrificed a pig in the temple, which is the most unclean of animals um, to the Jews. They set up uh, a shrine to the god Zeus in the temple. Um, and they cruelly murdered Jews who would not obey these rules. Uh, In other words, basically what the Syrian Seleucids tried to do was strip the Jews of their identity and strip them of the ability to faithfully follow God. But some Jews began to revolt. A small group of rebels led by a family of priests were able to drive the Syrian Seleucids out of Palestine over the period of about 25 years. And this is highlighted, you got, many of you might know this, this was highlighted by the cleansing and rededication of the temple on December 25th in 167 B.C., 167 years before Christ, by a man called Judah Maccabee who led that, um, led that revolt. And this is the event where uh, the Jewish people get the Hanukkah feast from, and it was to memorialize the deliverance of Israel from another foreign oppressor, again, something that they have been plagued by for generations So after the Syrians were ejected from Palestine, the Jews were free to rule themselves again. And again, hope flourishes. This, yet again, might be the time where we get to exercise freedom and faithfulness um, to the Lord and to have our enemies put under our feet. But their self-rule was only to last about 80 years until in the year 67 B.C., 67 years before Christ was born, a little political group you might be aware of called Rome marched into town. And they didn't leave for 500 years. Uh, And as most of us are aware, Rome ruled the known world with a kind of organized and effective brutality that had never been seen before and nor have we seen since. And they chose to rule Israel indirectly through puppet kings or governors. 
So what many of the Jewish priests and ruling class chose to do was align themselves with Rome in order to maintain safety, in order to maintain their authority, and in order um, to maintain their pagan Greek way of life that they had come to be quite fond of in the meantime. And so after a long series of oppressive and cruel and murderous ruling nations, it seemed that the, Jew, the Jews landed under the worst one yet when Rome came into town. And different Jews responded in different ways. You have uh, ruling leaders who sold out to Rome. That would be like King Herod at the time of Jesus' birth. You have Pharisees who were religious leaders who hoped um, for Israel to be separate from Greek culture, and they did this by strict adherence to the Old Testament law uh, in their longing for a renewed kingdom. You have groups like the Sadducees and priests who were also religious leaders, but they aligned themselves with Rome in an attempt to stay safe and stay powerful. You have groups like the Essenes, who were people who withdrew from culture, kind of think of monks or sort of, um, who would withdraw, or hermits, um, to get away from pagan culture and into the wilderness, awaiting for the Messiah to bring a new kingdom. You have groups like Zealots, who are willing to use violence against either their oppressors or against the treacherous Jews who would align themselves with their oppressors. But then the largest group of Jews didn't necessarily belong to any party in particular. It's the common people who were just united in their longing, united uh, in their longing for God's deliverance. They wanted the temple to be restored. They wanted their oppressors to be put under their feet, and they wanted the promised Messiah, King, to come and bring fruition to it all. So, again, if we go back to the blank pages... Uh, what does this hold? What happened between Israel returning and trying to rebuild their home to Roman occupation before the New Testament opens? Um, what fills these blank pages for God's people? And what fills them is foreign rule. What fills it is murder. What fills it is oppression, is subjugation, is loss, is death, is poverty, is families being separated. It's marginalization, it's sin, it's unfaithful leaders, it's moral compromise, it's unfulfilled promises, it's unrealized hopes, no new revealed words from God since the prophets, and no rescuing or conquering Messiah King. So if I might summarize in three words, these white pages hold significant silence and waiting and suffering. Uh... Have you ever played hide-and-go-seek with a kid who's just old enough to play, but they're not quite good enough at seeking yet? <laughs> I remember, I'm getting a pointing at someone back here, this one. <laughs> I remember playing this with both of my girls, you know, like you're sitting on a couch, and like just a blanket over you, like your legs are hanging out. I mean, you couldn't be more obvious, but um, they, they, they can't find you, right? And they, they start to cry, or they start to panic, and you have to run out from under the blanket or wherever you're at and just go comfort them. It's like, it's okay, I'm right here. Like, I never left. Um, but why were they scared? I was just there. I've told them I wouldn't leave. Um, I couldn't have gone far. But they were scared because they couldn't see me. And they were scared because they couldn't hear me. Um, they thought I'd left. And silence and waiting does that to us. Um, it does that to us with God. They make him feel distant. And, and if you add pain to it, it multiplies that feeling exponentially. Um, the ironic part of the hide-and-go-seek analogy is like the real pain and panic goes when they get good at hiding and you don't realize it yet, you know? 
Dottie did that to me a couple weeks ago, and she decided to play hide-and-go-seek without telling me. <laughs> running through the house like a nutbag, like about to run through a wall, screaming her name. It was just me and her, you know, and like, anyway, I'm just running through like crazy, screaming her name, and then I hear like the little doorknob turn in the kitchen pantry, and like the door start to creak open. She's kind of does one of these to me. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> anyway. Looking at her, so she should pay attention to me. Um, but this is really the fight for Israel in between these two testaments um, is to believe that God was indeed with them, that He hadn't left. To believe that God is both above our silence and with them in their silence, that He was still above their suffering and with them in their suffering, that He was still above their waiting and with them in their waiting. Um, and what do I mean? What do I mean by above the silence? I mean that God is in control. I mean that he is sovereign over all things, that he is not surprised by anything, that nothing is wasted, that everything submits to the power and the word of his will, that he is the king of kings and the lord of lords, that his timing is perfect, that even in the waiting and the suffering, he works in in love for the benefit of his people. God's power is so great that he is even known to take evil and turn its attack in on itself so that it even furthers God's kingdom. Um, and the Jews in, the, in, the, in between the Testaments had, had volumes of history to remind them that God was above their silence in their suffering. Think of Abraham and Sarah who waited decades into near-death old age before they had a child. Um, and it was to prove that God might display his power and that he might display steadfast love to them. You think of the Israelites who suffered as slaves in Egypt for 400 years, um, only to be delivered by the mighty acts of God in the forms of miraculous plagues. Um, And in so doing, God shows his might over the powers of darkness, and he shows his faithfulness to his promises. It's unquestioned. Um, You think of Psalm 119.71, and this reads, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. It's good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. This coming from a psalmist who saw in hindsight, I see what God was doing through my pain, and it was a good thing that he was doing. Uh, And we could go on and on with examples, but the truth is clear that every time the Israelites got a rearview mirror of what their suffering was and what they had gone through, they could see that God had indeed been above it and that he had been working through it, working for their flourishing and for his glory. And if they had proof of God being above their silence, they had just as much proof of him being with them. Um, You you see in exile, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were about to be burned in the furnace alive for their faithfulness, and yet you see the angel of the Lord was with them, among them in the fire, rescuing them and delivering them. And as Psalm 23 proclaimed, their hope and suffering was uh, was because of God's presence. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Um, And as Isaiah 43 read, that Chris read for us this morning, God reminds his people, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. And again, we could go on and on with examples, but the truth, again, is clear that God had been with them every step of the way, that he had been with them in their silence and with them in their waiting and with them in their suffering. 
Uh, so we're coming down to the home stretch of the sermon. I tried to keep it short. I told Katie I keep it under 45 minutes. Uh, and this is, this is really where I'd, I'd like to hold your attention for a moment. <clears throat> so the scriptures are clear that God is both above our silence and with us in it. Um, and it's essential that we hold those together because separate, those things are okay, but together they're worthy of worship. And I want to tell you why. It's good news that God is above our suffering and in control of all these things, working it um, at all to benefit us. But if God is only above our suffering, then we might be tempted to think that he is some kind of heavenly drill sergeant, just happy to inflict pain on his unshaped people into perpetuity, that he's detached from our suffering. Um, But that, and many of us feel like God may, may be that way sometimes. Certainly, God has been accused of being that way many a time. But if he is also with us, full of compassion and mercy and steadfast love, he is not disconnected, but he walks with us in the hardship. He comforts us. He grieves with us. He's angered at the oppression and the injustice that are, that are um, committed upon us. He calls our death and pain enemies. He sees your pain as no one else does. He hears your cries and no one else can. He remains near when everyone else might leave. And in the middle of the night, he's there. In the moment of crisis, he's there. And years later, when you still mourn the hurt, he's still there. Um, as Psalm uh, 119.17 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Now, the flip side is also true. So, it is good news that God is near to us, that his love and embrace can be felt like no one else can. But if he is only with us in the hardship, then it's really not that good of news at all because it means he can't do anything about it. Um, and we come for one another often sometimes saying, like, it'll be okay, it'll all work out. And we, we really don't know that. Um, that's, that's not a criticism. I say that too, just sometimes we don't know what to say. Um, but when God draws near to his people in our silence and suffering, he says, I'm with you, I am grieving with you, and this will not always be so. And because God is a king of kings and lord of lords above that, (laughs) when he says it will not always be so, it means something. (laughs) When he says it won't always be so, it won't. And when he says even this is bending to my will, it is. And when he says, I'm coming soon, he will. (laughs) So we hold those tightly together, that he is both above and with us. It's the greatest comfort we could ask for. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I want to acknowledge that 2020 year is... uh, 2022 might be a year that has felt like silence and suffering for many of you guys. Um, I know it has. I've had the honor to pray with you for it, or through it. Um, Even now, the sadness and despair might feel consuming as we're talking about this. Perhaps it's been a year of death. Perhaps it's been a year of a bad diagnosis or depression. Perhaps it's been full of anxiety or sickness or um, 
relational animosity. Perhaps it's been besetting personal sin. Um, perhaps it's been loneliness. Perhaps it's been unfulfilled hopes. Perhaps it's been sins committed against you. Um, and perhaps Advent season isn't always so happy for all of us. Perhaps it, uh, it seems to rub salt in current wounds or reopen old ones. And I want to recognize that. Um, I don't want to say I'm sorry. I hurt with you. Um, and this year's been a little bit tough for, for Katie and I, too. We, um, we walked through a miscarriage back in March, which I know was a, a pain many of us have felt around childbirth. Um, you know, and I'll tell you, the, the loss um, made us know deeply the nearness of God in a new way. We felt it as we cried that he was among us. We felt, um, I felt the Spirit's help groaning for me when I would pray. And just all I could do was just exhale. Um, I felt it through through gifts and through texts and cookies and cards and, and hugs from our church family. We felt God's nearness in it. Um, and there are plenty of moments of anger, <laughs> plenty of confusion. Um, Katie and I prayed, you know, constantly for a year about having another, another child, and we felt like we got total clarity on it, and then we lost. And I just felt cruel. <laughs> and it felt out of step. But, um, you know, behind both the, both the nearness and the confusion, there's a faint but stabilizing conviction for both of us that somehow God was above it all. And it, it, it brings power to the nearness. And it helps us choose when we don't feel like it, choose to trust. Um, so if you're listening to this and, and you're in the throes of anger or, or despair, um, don't feel pressure to ponder the heights of God's eternal plan through your pain at the moment. Um, don't feel guilt to force your emotions into submission. <laughs> it's some kind of act of faithfulness. Um, as Pastor Worley has said this well before, that the eternal plans of God working through our suffering are best viewed in a rearview mirror. Um, for now, we can bring our laments to God. Um, scripture gives us full freedom to do this. The Psalms are full of portions that basically say, where are you? <laughs> what are you doing? Um, in the same vein, some of you might very easily say, oh, you know, okay, pastor, you, you tell me what good could God do out of, out of what I'm, I'm going through? What, um, what good could he do through what's been done? Um, and I'll just tell you, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. Um, I can tell you how he's worked through ours. I, uh, Katie said multiple times, I just don't, I don't feel afraid like I used to. Um, I just, I made it through this, so I just feel less afraid. Um, I'll tell you for me, just the felt, the felt nearness of, of God and the grief was really tangible. Um. You know, I'll tell you too, we're expecting a baby girl again in February in a few weeks, and that's kind of weird to chew on. I know a lot of you sit in that, that space too. Um, so, I, so as we wait, we find comfort. Um, the God who's drawn near, <clears throat> that the God who's drawn near like no one else can, is also the only God that can do anything about it. Um,
So I'm going to end the sermon a little bit abruptly, um, kind of on purpose, uh, without bringing us to the full resolution. It's good for us to enter the, this week into waiting, I think. Um, it's a good week for us to, to sit in that tension and to have before us that, that God is both above our silence and with us in our silence. That he's above our waiting and with us in our waiting. And he's above our suffering and with us in it. Um, and, uh, and although if we go back to our, our blank pages, although Israel's history on this side was full of God's faithfulness and it was full of God's steadfast love and it was full of God's nearness, um, they had no idea how near he was about to become. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, what good news it is that you are indeed in heaven above over all, above all things, that you are enthroned over all things. And what good news it is that you draw near. And thank you for a season to press into the weight. Thank you for a season to be honest. And I pray that you would help us this week to not hurry to a Christmas morning, but to sit um, and to trust and to lament and to pray um, and to enter into the weight and to remember what it is you came to deliver us from. And so we praise you and we thank you. Um, Would you be near to us in a way that can be sensed and that can be known this week? In Christ's name, amen.